What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Retro Encounter. As always, I am Josh Curry. With me is Mike Solosi. Hello, everybody. And Chris Gabauer. Hello. In this exciting 20th episode, or 20th game, whatever, our number system sucks, um, we are covering Child of Light, a very, very unique Ubisoft game, which I, I think this is our first Ubisoft game we've covered. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh... No, we did a tech. Well, I guess it was THQ originally, but we did uh, South Park. I always forget about oh, that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. I guess we're the we're the Ubisoft team right here. Yeah, right. yeah, we're the Ubisoft trio. Okay. All right, yeah. We're the only three that can cover Ubisoft games on the site. Decreed as of now. If so. there's ever an Assassin's Creed RPG, we're the three. They're going to have to cover it. Maybe <laughs> we'll just cover the new Assassin's Creed game instead. That's fine. I'm sure everybody no. will love that. Yeah, I'm sure that that would go real well. Hey, Chris, what's your favorite watchtower? <laughs> How about none of them? That one that was tall. That's my Ugh. answer. Hey, don't give it crap. I like I like Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> I liked Assassin's oh, Creed oh. games in in like 2010. Oh, that uh, that pirate one was real good. I I haven't played I haven't played any of them after Brotherhood, but two and Brotherhood are both good. Maybe we yes. should actually talk about Child of Light instead. No, 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 no. You, you, you're the one that said you want to talk about Assassin's Creed in this. Now we're talking about pirates. There we go. But I, I think, I think, kind of talking about Assassin's Creed is a good point um, to bring up. The Child of Light kind of came out of a really unique era. They Ubisoft is considered a AAA developer. Absolutely. I mean, like they they put out substantial games, but they kind of got into this cycle of Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, and there's a third game that I am blanking on. But they kind of churned these out annually. Um, and the early 2000s became a really unique time period because all of a sudden they're like, well, let's go back to Rayman. Let's do a completely custom-made uh, framework to be able to develop on. Um, and during the, like from that framework, you had the Rayman games come out. You had Child of Light. You had Valiant Hearts. Well, um, and the, although it's... The, the Rayman games from Origins onward are on Ubisoft. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's sorry. 2011 to about 2015. Yeah. And then even... Have. Even during that time, they, they did the weird uh, Far Cry Blood Dragon. So you have like the early 2010s to mid-2010s. It was like a really, really interesting time at Ubisoft where they... Yeah, were, that's right. Like they allowing these people House to do... Mark game. Yeah. Uh, shoot, that was a really good game too. That was um, a great one. I can't remember the name right now. But it was uh, Metroidvania. Switching red between blue. red and blue. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, was just, it was a really weird time because you... You have a lot of these big developers, they talk about we want to have these indie pushes and we, we want to do really creative things, but at the end of the day, they're, they're kind of beholden to their stockholders and mm-hmm. they need to churn out these big, big titles that are going to make them boatloads of money. Um, and so like I, I remember being shocked when they announced, kind of like had this slew of announcements because like this doesn't seem to fit. Um, yeah. Well, slew of announcements, it really it was two games in... 2013-2014. That's a slew of announcements. But <laughs> um, I, count, I, I, I count Blood Dragon in that too. Oh, well, so there's three. Yeah, but basically what they were doing is they were they were rewarding their content creators with we know that you guys have to I'm gonna put in quotations slog through these annual releases. We want to reward you by having these passion projects and like take a break, do something creative kind of be able to refresh and then bring that back in so that you're able to not just get burned out with these games. Um, So that's why I I count that all together. Well, Talking about the... Oh, go ahead, Mike. 
I, I mean, I, I agree with your basic premise. I mean, Ubisoft makes all of their money with Far Cry and Assassin's Creed and the Tom Clancy games, and probably Tom Clancy. There we go. And, and probably more games that I'm forgetting. And um, UbiArt is this uh, really cool engine and framework that they started with Rayman Origins and have uh, mm-hmm. and have and basically made available to small teams in the Ubisoft family because Ubisoft yeah. Ubisoft is like. It's like a dozen studios, and their biggest ones are in France and Canada. But they they're they have studios all over the world, and thousands and thousands of people work on each Assassin's Creed game. But Child of Light, which is which is in the UbiArt engine of Rayman Origins, and Valiant Hearts, which came out the same year, uh, are in basically were just small teams from within Ubisoft that were like Josh said, basically passion projects that were not never going to make a ton of money. But we're existing, you know, maybe for um, because these were games that these creators wanted to make, because maybe they thought it would be able to to give Ubisoft another look. Like you don't think of either of them as as the kind of game Ubisoft released. I'm not I'm never sure if it's Ubi or Ubisoft, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna try to say Ubisoft. It's ubiquitous it's software. So okay. It's, oh, it's, so it is okay. I did not know that. Thank you, Chris. Ubisoft. But I, I, I choose to just pronounce it how I want. So. But anyway, Ubisoft. Uh, it's cool. Like Valiant Hearts and Child of Light are super interesting and visually very interesting uh, games that were well received when they came out. And um, uh, Josh, I wouldn't really put Blood Dragon in that framework because it's. I think that was just people on, on the Far Cry team messing around. But uh, the other game I would put in that category was Grow Home. Yeah, which is Grow Home. And yeah. then Chris had mentioned before the Housemark game. Before we go too far, that was Outland. Thank oh, you. Okay. Thank you. I, yeah, Outland was a lot of fun. Not in this in this framework, but that was part of the right. recording indie developers thing, and that was the first and still only Housemark game that wasn't a a, Sony, a console Sony exclusive. Yeah, and it, oh, so okay. at the end of the day, I it kind of I actually I really really enjoy uh, Ubisoft games, um, but you start looking at a lot of these quote unquote side games, um, and those have actually been some of my favorites over the course of the years. Mm-hmm. Like, when Child of Light came out, I loved this. It was uh, one of my favorite games of the year. It was super, super refreshing. Um, I've unfortunately never gotten around to Valiant Hearts, but it's, it's always been on the top of my list to play. Um, and it's It'll just, give you a very similar feel. From yeah, it, I, 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 I'm kind of making the assumption for Valiant Hearts on this, but we had mentioned multiple times passion projects, and, mm-hmm. and I think that really comes across in the work. It you can you can see the tender love and care that they put into this and it, i don't think valiant hearts put a smile on your face per se but that no. extra care makes you like child child of light like i i play the, the entire time I'm playing the game i have this massive smile on my face like i am happy playing it um, yeah it, it just was, it has an extra polish on it what was so fascinating about the ubi art initiative when it started with rayman origins when they brought michelle ansel out at different uh forums to basically discuss this engine that he and his team had developed there was this concept behind it of freedom for developers to create beautiful cartoon you know themed games in terms of that style and of course using rayman origins as the kind of first show of look what you can do and they marketed it as it's super simple to use it's going to cut costs so that small developer and small teams all eventually child of light and valiant hearts could make a game much more simply than would have been thought for a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360 because of the tools at hand. 
And they talked about it as, you know, eventually we're going to be licensing it out and we're going to let the public use it. And sadly, I don't think I know of any other team outside of the Ubisoft family that ever got a chance to really do anything with the and UbiArt it, framework. Ended up being uh, just a boatload of Rayman games on iOS. Yeah, which is which is, I mean, I don't want to say it's 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 you know super sad because it's, it's, it's of depressing. course proprietary and you're allowed to do what you want with your own product. But yeah, it was it was disappointing because it if as Michelle Ancel, who is definitely one of those holdovers from the very old school days of software design, where he always talks about how everything should just be free access to an extent and just make what you want. But that was kind of the idea of we've created a platform to oversimplify the process and still let you have a beautiful-looking game. And I'm, yeah. I'm a little worried that part of the reason we aren't seeing more uh, UbiArt, UbiArt games uh, nowadays is because Ubisoft is undergoing some very weird uh, um, politics right now. It, it yeah, may... with the stock seizures and all the rest of it. Yeah, and and, yeah. and Ancel's not with the company anymore. He left after Rayman he's Legends. He's yep. like half there. Yeah, yeah no, yep. he, he's working on a game, on a really big, neat-looking game called Wild right now, but there, he's also partially back there to work on Beyond Good and Evil 2, and his brother is still employed at Ubisoft. So it's it's yeah. really, it's a really strange situation. But the only... Uh, the only UbiArt games that we got that were big console re- that were console releases were Rayman Origins, Rayman Legends, Valiant Hearts, and Child of Light. And if you count those as big, I don't. I don't really. Well, like yeah, I, 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 I know. I, I poor choice. He's of avoiding, horse, but, but cons- he's avoiding the iOS titles. Yeah, basically. yeah. Console yeah. releases were those four. But yeah. but you're right. Like this was a the whole idea was that they could make this engine that was a a versatile 2D engine that could support multiple gameplay types and they could design games basically as fast as you can make the art assets. Mm-hmm. Which meant very quick turnaround in comparison to standard AAA and of course I mean with Child of Light and Valiant Hearts double or single A, but just expedite the process to the nth degree and in I a should, way that. In complaints of, oh, now that we've gone to HD, everything's so much harder. When they were saying this, everyone was going, oh, my God, this is this is going to be part of the future. And then nothing happened with it. Yeah. And it's one of those things, I call it, like, Nintendo design almost. You look at a lot of old, old games. By mm-hmm. old, old, I mean Super Nintendo and PlayStation. Let's, sure. let's go with those two eras. Um, and you look at, we'll just compare Nintendo to PlayStation during that time period. Which I know timeline just kind of okay. don't fully work. But... Yeah, now okay. most of those PlayStation games look like crap. They just they visually they don't work yeah, because po- they, the were, they were they were trying to really push rough. right. Um, and the great thing about a lot of the Nintendo games back in the day and how I'm kind of viewing the UbiArt games as a, currently, these games will always look good. Yep. There is an artistry to them. There is there is not bleeding edge, but it is visually dynamic. Um, and like kind of and switching a, the conversation. And a pure artistic vision. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's not the standard, and especially in that era when everything was about the grays and the muted browns from you know the inspired Gears of War palette that yeah. went into every major shooter, and understandably so. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the very muted color palette. These games were, and you talked about it when, when you played Child of Light, a breath of fresh air because all of a mm-hmm. sudden on your TV was this bright, beautiful pop. I mean, Rayman Origins... It's one of my favorite platformers, oh. and that was and that game 
just was fun, you know, Fantastic. basic story, but it was funny and in, in its weird quirks. It harkened back to the original that I remember playing as a kid, except it actually had good mechanics instead of that original game that launched with my PlayStation. And all of a sudden, every level you're in is this beautiful tapestry. Yeah. This wonderful painting that's moving and breathing and laughing at you because it's and such a goofy game. Child of Light specifically, like, I, I really like Rayman as well, but they really, really nail a the artistry painting. of it. Yes, yeah. it, it is. Romantic era, 19th century, you know, Germanic and British ta- uh, paintings just friggin' in a game that you're walking through. It's amazing. Yeah, it is a, like a child's tale. Um, I'm, like, it is. It's, it's classic fairy tale illustration. Yes. Like, yeah, if you go back to your traditional Grimm's and your whatnots, where you really had you know, the illustrator was as much of the storyteller yeah, as, child, the, as the literature itself. Child of Light feels illustrated and not like mm-hmm. and, and not like just, you know, a video game's graphics. I'm, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to try and consciously not try to say the word storybook 20 times during this podcast. <laughs> I know, it's e- hard. Because every, really everything is, about Child design. of Light is, is storybook, from the visuals to the dialogue... To yep. the characters, it breaks into chapters to the situations, mm-hmm. which almost feels because they have like a panning picture of nobody in it, and it just shows this is your new setting. You're in a new chapter. Um, it it does like I I got a huge reminder of kind of a mixture of Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, both, so that both of those that aesthetic. Both of those were you know late nineteenth, earliest twentieth century stories that that had a, a very distinct visual component and you know have have a storybook feel to them yeah even even though i mean golden age of children's literature that we're talking about so it's perhaps unfairly though i i associate those more closely with their films than with the books yeah but uh but i i totally understand how either of them could be related to child of light because both of them are young women um sort of thrust into uh I don't magical realism is probably the wrong term, but like like very un- strange situations, stranger in a strange land, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but going through the looking glass essentially and encountering mm-hmm. the unknown, and then trying to make your way back. But going through the li- but looking it- glass or having your your house tossed into a magical land is a little <laughs> bit is a little bit different from probably dying. So I, I actually I I want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> And maybe we want to have his closing conversation, but it seems some fit here. So the implication is that she is dead. Um, or she's in a coma. Or on death's doorstep. Right. Um, that's, how I look at it. that's how I think. What, where are your guys' thoughts on that? Okay. Um, I, I, I have a very outside – like, so – has like everyone finished earlier. the game before? Because you did, Josh. I, I, I have not finished it before. I, I didn't relate to about where we stopped here. So I, I played to the same spot twice now. <laughs> okay, Mike. I um I have played less of it than Josh. I had um I bought this game shortly after it came out, partially because I loved the soundtrack and even put it on my uh, best RPG soundtracks of 2014 thing for RPG fan. But I only played mm-hmm. through the first chapter and got bored, which which is oh, awful because nice. the end of, the end of the second chapter is when the game gets really good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's but that's my fault. But I um but I, I replayed it over this past week and got to the uh, uh I got to the point where we agreed to stop at the beginning of chapter seven. Okay. All right. So actually, hilariously, I'm in a very similar boat to you, Josh. 
I got to, I think, Chapter 8 originally when I rebooted the game. And I I loved it, like you said, very similar. When I first got it after it came out on Vita, I was so happy. I'd been waiting for it. And I forget what came out the next month, but some other game showed up. And I got halfway through that other title and was like, oh, I don't even remember where I was. And always told myself I'd come back to it. And the beauty of this podcast is it gives you a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um, So awesome. What is everybody's theory then about okay. Aurora? Okay, I I have a very specific theory. Okay. Um, and and this touches into multiple things in the, in the first half of the game. Now we know from what the Lady of the Woods said at the end of the second chapter that there was a Queen of Light that ruled this land. Uh, I think it's called Lemuria. Lemuria. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And she left, and then an evil queen took over, and that's all the darkness that's happening in Lemuria. Now mm-hmm. I th- I think what happened was the Queen of Light was uh, our heroine's mother, and when she died is is when the Queen of Light left this land. And I'm I'm not sure wh- I'm not sure exactly how, but so- but for some reason, um, oh, I can't think of the uh, the uh, Aurora is it or is it Aurelia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aurora. Yeah, Aurora. Aurora. Yeah, okay, uh, just like Sleeping Beauty. Um, so uh, Aurora falls into a deep sleep, just like Sleeping Beauty, and her either her soul or, uh, yeah, I guess her soul is probably that. Her soul traveled to Lemuria, maybe spurred on by her mother. Like her mother is is transported Aurora's soul to Lemuria to try and save it. Is my theory. And I, originally I thought maybe this was a journey to the afterlife, and she was in limbo or something, but I that got dashed a little bit when she met Nora because mm-hmm. because Nora is her stepsister from the real world and she accidentally traveled to Lemuria through I think she even said it was through a mirror, right? Yeah. And she was forced through the mirror. Yeah, exactly. So I I think that this is not the afterlife. This is some this is a some kind of other world or dream world or or something that uh, Aurora is destined to save being the Queen of Light's daughter is what I think is going on. Uh, I'm in a very similar boat. I think that the the Dark Queen is clearly the second wife to me of the king, and that she's the one responsible for putting them putting the other one through the mirror. You know, I thought about because that too. Because someone had to to forcibly do it. But again, I I actually don't know. So if, I so thought about that too. But <laughs> otherwise, why would Nora be so nice to her? I, I thought I thought that might have been the case. Because the, uh, I mean, the uh, the second wife is exactly the kind of NPC that could be secretly evil, <laughs> even though we haven't exactly. te- we, we, we've seen her but not really met her. It's more about the trope of that type of a scenario more than anything specific that tells me that's that's who's doing this. But uh, you know, I, I think about the world Lemuria kind of similar to a uh, Pan's Labyrinth kind of magic realism or even Nino Cooney where there's that argument of is it real or is it the imagination and i always find it more fun to believe that those worlds are real and going back to and that's going, not going, just specific people who have either the predestined uh you know whether it be fate or whatnot or as as mike said they are just the daughter of and so they're the chosen ones and because of that they're the ones who are allowed to see these worlds and save them and all the rest of it so i go a very very different direction with all this um when I, I remember my original theory when I first started playing. I, I think I had replayed Limbo recently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I thought something had happened to her mom and her dad fell into a coma and she was going to save her dad or died. Like, so instead of her oh, dying, her dad died. Of, right. Um, but then I started coming up with this theory towards the end of me playing last time. And it's like, I've been so focused on it during this time and it's all has to do with her crown. So her crown right. says foe on it. Oh yeah. So, like, like fake or false. Fake. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so the direction I go with this, which I, it'd be really cool if they did this, but I don't think they're actually going to do this. I think her dad got divorced with her mom. There's a stepmom, and this is a little girl that is struggling to understand what this is, and so she is made a make-believe world for herself, where she is trying to come to terms with an issue that is bigger than she can understand. That, of okay. this, of like of divorce and stepmother. And... Yes. That that's a cool theory, but I I don't think divorce happened. I think they they made it clear or that her e mother died. Even if even if she died. Okay. Okay. Uh, sure. Just you just you just mean in the sense of dealing with that a child dealing with new parents and or dealing with and... all of that there, whether it is divorce because oh, sure. it could be they're saying okay. that she died for this story because she's no longer part of her life. Like there could be justification beyond that. Um, sure. And I. I keep going back to that because she's – it's weird because she keeps saying don't call me a princess, but if it was her make-believe, she should be called princess. But that crown like really, really irritates me because if she is a real princess, the crown would not say that. And I feel like that is like a nod to all of this is not real. And then you start looking at symbolism of individuals involved in the story and what they could represent in the real world. And that's the best of being able to tie all of it together. I Okay. I, I, I don't think that's it. I think it's more like every time uh, she insists that she's not the princess, she shows them, hey, look, my crown says fake on it. And I, I think I think that's just a visual cue rather than um, a, a deeper meaning. But she meaning. supposedly is a princess. Kind of. Remember, her she, father's a duke, so she's not really a – well, I guess that's technicality. No, maybe no, no, maybe I missed it in the story. They said princess, and I missed it. Um, I um, – I'm not sure whether like the nomenclature. I'm not sure if she's a princess or not in the real world because it's yeah. Uh, so that's what I, I don't remember if they mentioned that specifically at the beginning or if princess first comes yeah. up when everyone sees her in Lemuria because she has a crown, and they've clearly been told to wait for a princess. A lot of them, or they've been told by whatever the lady, you know, in in the stained glasses or some yeah, other force has woods. told people. Yeah. Thank you, lady in the woods, uh, has said to certain people that there's going to be a princess. So when they see the crown, they go, oh my god, princess. And she's like, yeah, Aurora. Yeah, Aurora. no, I, <laughs> I think that's basically it. I think she isn't a princess in real life. Her dad gave her a crown for the party that uh, happened before her soul left her or whatever. Or whatever forgot about on. that. Yeah, right. and because at the beginning you see her dad giving her the crown, and I think every time mm -hmm. someone calls her princess, she takes off the crown and goes, no, I'm not a real princess. Yeah. See, this crown is that. fake. This crown is fake. But um, I think, I mean... Again, my theory, I think that her mother really is the Queen of Light that left. So uh, she probably <laughs> is technically the Princess of Lemuria, but uh, she insists repeatedly that she isn't. Or died. I think the, in, I think the Queen of Light is actually dead. So she's either going to, to right, go right. to the talk of, of, uh, of is this the afterlife? Again, I take the Pan's Labyrinth version, and it's not. But that she might not ever come back to life in the real world. And may become the queen of Lemuria. Yeah, I um, I 
thought Lemuria might have been the afterlife at first, because it seemed at the beginning that she maybe have even died in a fire, because she mentioned that there was fire underneath her or something in the in the very opening sequence, but uh, I, I, that's probably not important. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think Lemuria is an other world like Wonderland or Oz, and not yeah, the exactly. afterlife, even though at the beginning, I, at first, I thought that might have been the case. I mean, I could see how that could end up being the story, but to me, uh, I just haven't seen enough hints or clues to really strengthen that theory it's just a to me an interesting idea that might play out over the next chapters but correct me if i'm wrong it's hard because like mike said the the movies have so distorted it at this point isn't there a theory that alice specifically like she did not go to wonderland Um, yeah with alice it's, it's a weird thing where when the first book ends when she goes through the, the looking uh, glass. yeah, well, no, no, that's the that's the second book, is through the looking glass. Yeah, the, the first one is she goes down a rabbit hole. She goes down the rabbit hole, but when she escapes after the trial, what she escapes to while she's running away and she hears Alice, Alice, she pops awake and she's been asleep under a tree the whole time. And and in the Wizard of Oz, uh, I think both in the book and the movie, uh, Auntie M indicates to her, "You hit your head and woke up," and uh, the. Um, at least in the movie version, the actors that played the Scarecrow, Tin Man, Lion, and Wizard were all just uh, all people that she knew. People on the farm, yeah. Yeah, well, the Wizard was a traveling salesman, but yeah. So it's yeah. it's like there's also the implication in, in Oz that maybe it's a real place, maybe it's part of her imagination, but then they made right. like six other Oz books, so okay, yeah. Oz really is a real place. <laughs> but, and also uh, with, with Alice, with Through the Looking Glass, that's the one that makes it this clearly has to be a place and maybe Alice is the only one who can (laughs) go there because she really legitimately goes through a mirror, the looking glass. So in in both of those stories, the first one has ambiguities, whether it's a real world or not. And then the sequels establish it as more of a place. Yeah, exactly. But let's, let's kind of redirect the conversation. We've talked about a lot of high level. Let's let's actually talk about the game. (laughs) Um, We've talked about how, gorgeous it is with that there's also really good music i know how much you guys like talking about music um, so we acknowledge that uh, the music's really music. good it's, it's by a, it's by a french artist named curl de pirate which means pirate heart and it is super pretty and has a lot of uh small orchestrations and solo piano and it's really really good yeah, i was gonna say the piano work is pretty fantastic um but there's a lot of uniqueness beyond even kind of the visual and the music uh, all the dialogues done in rhyme which I, I think is fascinating. Yeah, and it's not always throwing... in meter, but it is always no. rhymed, except right. when Rubella is talking, which, which is, is hilarious. Yes. Which is great because it breaks. Great the character gag. It's one of those things. I, I think it's impressive <laughs> that they're able to effectively do a dialogue in a story that all of it is rhyming. I think it's oh. even more impressive that they have her speak in something that's almost a rhyme and screws up at the end. I think it was an interview with the writer of the. It was an interview with the writer of the game. I think it was on the PlayStation blog. I think it was Ryan Clements did it. But uh, Clements asked about, you know, how hard was it to write this game, you know, and make sure you always had a rhyme. And the guy basically was explaining, like, so it was, it was, it was awful. I mean, it was what I wanted <laughs> to do, but it was awful because there would be so many times where you're just like, how the hell do I find a rhyme for the scenario? Right. And it might have been in that interview or somewhere else where he talks about what he loved about Rubella. Uh, was that he was able to always, you know, if he wasn't coming up with the right kind of goof or gag, he could always just be like, 
ah, whatever. I'll say something else and have someone else kind of <laughs> correct it for her, and it's going to be great. <laughs> I can always yeah. have a catch-all if it doesn't work yeah, with the it, meter. They also cheat a lot of times with having two dialogues on the same line so that they're yeah. able to not necessarily have the rhyme for that individual but a response to that. So it's what it ends up being is more like a classic verse, like when you're doing Shakespeare or Marlowe or something well, like that, where as long as you fit the meter, you can have characters kind of overlap and all the rest of it. And yes. It's in a lot of stuff. That's just I'm going for a more common. But, but no, I, I sort of think that's deli- they deliberately avoid that. The, um, the, um, the dialogue in Child of Light <laughs> is not in meter. Some, uh, I mean, it's definitely not like. Well, it's you know, not. It's it, not it's, ten. It's not. You don't have your trochees and feet. No, it's it's not, it's, a, it's not an iambic pentameter. I, but, it, not uh, but, uh, but also, there's. I mean, they don't even do syllable counts all the time. They just make sure no. to to have an A B A B rhyme scheme with every four lines. Right. So it's, it's it's a game of it's a game of unmetered quatrains. How's that? Is that yeah, does that work that's, for that's, you? That's totally accurate. That's <laughs> actually totally accurate. But. But they do – I do feel like they try for the most part, except in certain cases, especially when they're finishing the rhyme on the, the rhyme system on the fourth line, they do try to keep a rhythm to what they're doing. So it's not just like so, – so, Sometimes, sometimes there is a rhythm and you, can, and you can feel the meter a little bit. But sometimes it's like, okay, that didn't really, really work forced. at all. They just need to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they need to just end it. And they do use the, the old school finishing a thought or finishing – dialogue with a couplet to go into the next moment so a lot of times during a scene end they will have a final couplet not always but that is one thing that they've done consistently throughout the first six chapters for a lot of major character introductions and plot points which i really like that's just a a very old-fashioned device for a theater of couplet means scene change or or character exit Go. But I I totally agree that Rubella's gimmick is hilarious and oh, I, great. I I wish she had more dialogue, if anything, so we got more out of it. Although I, I, I was I was actually wondering about that last night while going through chapter six, where I'm almost I'm I, I love her gag, but I feel like if do you think if they did it more you would get so tired of it so quickly? Because it really is just a one note laugh kind of thing. It's the May- same thing repeated mm. again and again. Maybe. Like I think right but, now it's just enough. Like, I want more, but I feel like if I had more, like, okay, I get it. We get it. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I understand that line of thinking, but I am more of the opinion, I want more, so why isn't there more? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking yeah, a bit more, I'm yeah, more of a childish yeah. perspective, I guess. But uh, I like it. But the, the way that they handle this so far, I mean, we've played through the first six chapters, so we did through the mm-hmm. chapter where you meet Robert and he joins your party. Yep. And uh, so counting Aurora the main character, there are five playable characters. Aurora... Kind of the golem in that? Oh, um, the, the golem's a DLC character. I don't actually have him. I'm having the golem's enough. awesome. So good. Well, <laughs> but, okay, golem aside, most of the dialogue that you get out of these characters when it isn't a quest specific to them is when you meet a new character. Like, yes. like when, in Chapter 6, when Robert joined, there's all kinds of dialogue with Robert when you're, you know, looking for the vault that he's trying to find, or he, when he's talking about the the rat girl he's interested in. Oh yeah, Robert is an anthropomorphic mouse, I should mention. It's like, that, all of Chapter 6 is like you're reading a Brian Jake's Redwall book or something. I love that you had to say that. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh... <laughs> but in the middle of the... Mossflower Woods. That's yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, man, I read like, I read like 10 of those Brian Jake's books back when I was in, in my teens. I read, I read many as well. Uh, but the, uh... 
most of your character dialogue outside of Aurora is when a new character joins. So when Robert joins, um, for the next, I guess, four battles, he has a little dialogue exchange with Rubella, then Finn, then Nora. So, uh, and, and but that's like all you ever, like using, I guess, Rubella as an example. She joins your party, then you, you hear her chime in whenever a new character joins, and then that's really all you hear out of her. And she's, she's, Rubella is a jester who's looking for her, her circus troupe. So I, I guess when we find her circus troupe, we'll hear plenty out of Rubella, but for now, she's really only just commenting on new people joining. Yeah, I can't wait to meet her brother. <laughs> And see if he has the same gag, or if he's the one who usually finishes her thoughts, or if there's something there. Or maybe he rhymes like every other word instead of never rhymes. <laughs> I can't <laughs> remember awesome. what he is. I, I feel like there's something there, and I can't remember what it was because I, I I got him in my first playthrough. You did? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so he's if you, well, if you only got to chapter eight in your per- first playthrough, then he's probably coming soonish. Oh, it's coming! I honestly don't remember where okay. I got to. I didn't finish. the We're game, gonna find out that, that that he actually got to the second to last chapter and just didn't realize he was there. <laughs> that that's highly possible. <laughs> I did. I, I I was curious how long the game was, so I did check a. Uh, oh, it wasn't a guide. I think it was a wiki article just to see how many chapters there were. And how long said, to beat? Uh, no, I didn't check that one. I don't, I don't. I think it was a wikia, but I forget. It, it looks like that there's ten chapters plus end game stuff. That's like a an eleventh half chapter. I think is how oh. it is. So this is not a long game at all. Like the, these six, each chapter is maybe forty five minutes to an hour, probably a less. Delightful little journey. So yeah, it's 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 a nice little. It's refreshing. Um, so so this definitely to- after we finish Danganronpa because there's not much, like. These games couldn't be farther apart from each other. <laughs> I forgot you guys finished that. That's right. Yeah, the, the, these are two very, very different games. But, uh, but yeah, Child of Light is definitely under 10 hours, probably closer to 6 or 7. Yeah, I, I think uh, How Long to Beat said 8 if you did a 100% run. So, nice. yeah, we can we can chuck through it really quick. I'm doing a lot of exploring, but I'm definitely not doing a 100% run. And uh, also, I'm not, I'm not sure if we really mentioned this. All of the UBART games are basically uh, 2D layers. So, yeah, 2D 2.5. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, the, so like, um, how much pop there is and how much 3D appearance there is of the characters varies. I think in, um, in Child of Light, Aurora is the only character rendered in 3D. Everything else is in, is in 2D planes or 2D layers. But it's like, you, and you can see the layers pop. Like, there's the mm-hmm. layer you're standing on and things like leaves or shadows or foreground that's ahead, that's, that will jut ahead and background that'll be behind. But it looks like a beautiful storybook. There's that word again. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, when you're navigating the world, it feels like a Metrovania game, like a, like a, a Symphony of the Night or a Dust and Elysian Tale or a, uh, or a Shadow Complex. But then it cuts into random Ooh, battles. Shadow complex. <laughs> then it cuts into random battles when you hit enemies. So it's it's like a it, it's it's a turn-based RPG appropriation of that kind of 2D game that is normally a 2D action game. But it looks so, gorgeous, and there's lots of exploring you can do, and there's nooks and crannies all over the world, and it's it, it's super right. fun. The gameplay almost never gets in the way of what I want to do. Mike, when you stopped, you said you played like the first chapter. 
Yes. Did you stop before you were able to fly last time? Yes, and I am mad at myself for that. Like, I got to the monastery, and then I stopped playing, because something else popped up. I don't remember exactly why I stopped playing. But once you learn how to fly at the end of the second chapter, the game is so much fun and just explodes so immediately. Like, cause when yeah. you, you associate flying or super jumping or, like, full exploration like that in a Metrovania game with being a, a, a last quarter thing. Like, that's the kind of ability where, oh, now I can go anywhere, now I'm near the end of the game, now I can do all of this. But in Child of Light, you get it in the second chapter, and the game just becomes way more vertical and way more free and awesome. And I wish I had gotten that to that point when I first played this game, because then I wouldn't have stopped. Yeah, yeah I, because, I'd forgotten yeah. that you didn't start with wings. Um, and so I started playing the game, I was like, this sucks. Because the first, the first little bit is like, this is really actually, this is annoying. I'm it's jumping around, platforming. dragging this box around so I can get places. Yeah, it seems like a less good version of one of those Metroidvania games. <laughs> it sounds so bad. And, but the nice thing is that that segment lasts 15 minutes. Yeah. If well, that, no, no, you depending to, on how much you explore. Um, you have to get to the end of the monastery. So it's like, it's like an hour, maybe a little less. It's like 15 minutes. <laughs> No, um, that's not an hour. It was, well, I guess you... you the battles alone take switch. 15 minutes. You have to beat those two I guess statues. I skipped, I, skipped, I skipped a bunch of the battles early Are you on. you not battling correctly? <laughs> so, for, for the record, if you do not play the game, there is a correct way to battle and an incorrect way to battle. The, the correct way is to blind the enemy with your little mouse cursor guy, and then hit him from behind so you get the... Uh, so you get the preemptive... Surprise bonus. Yeah, yeah the surprise right. bonus. Then it becomes almost a rhythm game, which is super fascinating. What? There's a rhythm uh, aspect? There's... What? You just mean in terms of timing it with... Uh, oh, 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 you're, you're, talk, you're talking about the... Slot. You're talking about the Grandia-style battle meter thing. Yeah. yeah, and I never played Grandia, so like this like blew my mind. Like This is really, really cool. Grandia is a 1998 uh, game, dude. Yeah. Well, PlayStation. If <laughs> actually, I didn't play it, the, then it, this is the first time I've had it. Happen. It was on the Saturn first, actually. <laughs> Actually, and that's why actually. I didn't play it. <laughs> no one played it on the Saturn. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> you um, and two other people in the world. No, I, I didn't. I, ne I never played it. I never played Twitter. it. On, I never played it on the Saturn, but it was a Saturn game first. Okay. <laughs> no, he's right. He's right. It's like Lunar being a Sega CD game. Mm -hmm, exactly. Well, um, well, with uh, with Grandia, it, it was a straight port. With Lunar, they're like totally different games almost. But I uh, know. The important thing being. It reminds me, and it's not the same style, but it reminds me of the Mario RPGs, where there's a lot of RPG games that you you sit in line and you either queue up attacks or there's you're basically just pressing X X X X X X X X X, and you just keep attacking. And sometimes you get creative and you move your guys to a certain spot and you attack from behind. And in some RPGs, a lot of times there is not some sort of active participation in the moment to moment segments, right. and that's one of the things I really like about the the Mario RPGs. You have to jump when the people attack or dodge, or you have to like knock things back with a wooden hammer. That is interesting. It's the same thing with this. There is there is a thought process of how I want which characters I want to have in because they have different layers of speed. How I am going to use my little firefly to slow down my enemies because if you shine over them, they their bar progresses slower. Mm -hmm. And having all of this timed out because if you attack when they're in their attacking phase. You'll interrupt their attack, and they'll go to the beginning of the meter. And you can literally go through an entire fight, if you're smart about it, and have them never get an attack off. 
Yeah, no, that, and, that happens all the time. I'm just saying in the first two chapters, you fight for about 15 minutes. That's not... No. Yeah. No. No, you're, you, no. Just, you just have a child and no concept of time anymore. You're just not good at video games, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, the baby agrees with someone. I'm not sure which one, though. I, I, well, I, I, know, like... I know I'm right, and Josh is often wrong. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> Josh is never out. wrong. Uh, um, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, the important thing is... Can I that kid's older to disagree with everything you said? The, the battle system... I'm just going to transition to the battle system. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> since we can at least agree on that. I really, really, really enjoy this battle system. Um... I I adore everything about this game, like how whimsical it is. Um, mm -hmm. But it would be very easy for this game to be beautiful and fascinating in that regard, and then just be garbage or phoned in for its battle system. And I, I think they did a very good job making something interesting, making something that is fun to play that adds to the game instead of just being a side thought. And it's a very simple conceit. There's hmm? nothing very overly complex about the system. Yes, you have the Oculi, and you can use that to, uh, you know, amp or change weapons and your stats just a, just a little bit. So you, I, have, you I, feel like there's a little bit of customization, but you don't really using, even need to do using that. Using gems like that makes me think that I'm playing a Diablo game, which I definitely appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a win, let's be honest. But uh, what I do love about the system is I... I do think it's a, it, it is a little simple at times, and especially once you get the hang of it, it's not difficult. This is not a difficult game uh, if you are used to RPGs. I, and again, maybe that's going to change as we go forward, but at this point, I feel pretty good I, about that. I have never been that. close to losing a single battle. It's, 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 exactly. it's not challenging. The, the Grandia meter stuff is good. The, uh, the, very, the um, differences between all the different characters is, is cool. There's, there's a lot of good things about... The, this combat design and the fights in oh, yeah. general, but, there, but it's it never simple. hard. Exactly. No. And, and then they what, even what have, if you like... screw up, the Firefly helps you out tremendously, because it can collect yeah, more health. Can, oh, yeah. Health. There's so many ways light. to heal yourself and, and restore mana that I've... I've I have on, the only time I ever used potions was uh, during two boss fights when I was running low on mana. And I've, and I've actually... And Rubella is your healing character, but I've never had her use a healing spell ever because potions are faster and better and uh and outside of those two battles where i needed potions i've always been able to heal myself with firefly yeah i made a mistake when i first started this game because i was like absolutely need to be able to revive absolutely need to be able to heal and i forgot how little i actually needed that oh um, yeah. so, so did, I, did you build her to, to get healing spells <laughs> yeah I, I did the heal revive really quickly and then all of a sudden i was like oh that's right She's just super fast and can attack strong, so let's just build her strength and have her do that really quickly. Yeah, I, um, I so just I had to <laughs> redirect I, how I was specking her. I wish I had done that. I just kept having her on healing stuff, but uh, I, I should have done that. What I did instead was just stop using her, and I, I use <laughs> yeah, I, I use Finn, I use Finn, Finn and uh, Nora almost exclusively. Golems, where it's at. Well, I'm I, telling you, I don't have DLC, so oh, I don't have Golems. Baller. Uh, but yeah, but I. But <laughs> to just kind of finish up, even though it's simple, the game allow. I, I think that actually fits more with the aesthetic of fairy tale and a child's, you know, storybook. As we've said, using that word too much, but it, but it really fits with the aesthetic because it allows anyone to play this game. I've shown this game to people who don't play video games. 
uh, um, some art history majors and others, family members. Uh, art history friends, majors play and... video games. Come on. No, no, but specifically, this is the girlfriend of my uh, soon-to-be wife of my brother, and she doesn't play video games. Let's yeah, not be educational. We had, to make it, we had to make it easy for him. Yeah, exactly. But what, what, <laughs> and the reason why this was a great game to jump into is she actually specializes in uh, German like Romantic era painting, so Gaspar oh. Friedrich and all the others, which is what mainly a lot of the assets of this game are. That's awesome. are inspired by. So it was I was able to basically show her her grad school major in a video game. What was so? And what and was her perspective? Battle on system it? on the the art. She thought was stunning. She was okay. so excited to be in that world and just be able to explore. Just from a perspective right. of living in a painting, she thought it was beyond belief incredible. And then for a battle system for someone who's never really played a game, it was gentle and simple enough, with a little bit of complexity. But if she doesn't totally nail the interrupting moments, it's still not hard enough to totally punish her for not being perfect at the battle system. Yeah, for the most part, you are, even if you avoid battles, you're overleveled for everything with the exception of a couple boss battles. Because when I played yes. through the first time, this was actually part of the reason I stopped, um, I skipped every battle because I wanted to make the game hard, so I purposely was super, super underleveled. It just becomes um, a huge grind, because I'm doing that a little bit. I've definitely skipped more monsters this time around, and it's not, you're going to beat the boss, it's just going to take you... Right. Five that, minutes. And then it was just not fun at that point. I was still, yeah. it wasn't terribly difficult. It was just annoying at that point. And that, that was ultimately why I stopped my first time through. So I'm being much more patient with it. And I'm doing, and I am your, attacking your everybody that I can. And well, okay. so I, I, I don't do that. <laughs> I am super, super over leveled. I think I'm probably approaching the level that I was when I stopped last time. Or I, I probably actually, well, I, I wish I could remember where I stopped last time. <laughs> But I had already passed that level. Um, yeah, it's 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 it is a good battle system. I love that you can choose the encounters or avoid them, and that they have a mechanic involving that. Yeah, it's Super it's smart. really easy to use your Firefly cursor guy to blind enemies and then just walk oh, yeah. by them. And then just go by. And, or it, just and fly that's the over thing them. is, to me, this is a a great game to recommend to vets of the genre and also to complete newbies. It's such a fantastic first RPG because it eases you into mechanics. And it's such a wonderful world to be in that even if you don't love RPGs, there's a good chance you're going to be captivated by what's on the screen. And, and also, um, something we mentioned before, this is not a long game. It's probably only eight hours. You could so, do it in a day if you were dedicated. Well, and I wouldn't say that. But it, it's, it would be super easy <laughs> to beat this in a weekend. And if someone is new to the genre, maybe doesn't want to play a 60-hour game because what if they don't like it? Like th this is, I, I think this is a great choice for someone's first RPG, whether oh, yeah. they're whether they're already a gamer or a non-gamer. Yep. Because yeah. it, it, for all the reasons that you said, and also the time commitment is not much at all. Yeah. So, so I understand the the there, uh, there is the a... new gamer, but it's 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 harder for me to be to go into those shoes because um, we've we've played enough RPGs. Totally. That's why for me, I I completely look at it as a palate cleanser. Um, yeah, it's a, it, 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 and it was then, and it still is, because there's yeah. not really much like it. There's a you, couple games you can point to, but that's really You mentioned it. Gears of War earlier, and that was during the time when this was coming out. I mean, there was, let's change saw and shoot everybody we can. Let's have very dark games. Let's have adult games, because we're adult gamers now. Mm -hmm. Isn't the 360 really cool and edgy? And this came out, and I, I think I already used this, but Breath of Fresh Air. It is very, very different from even anything that's, for the most part, out now. Um, 
And I think I played this a month after The Last of Us. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that'd be fantastic. And the same thing, like coming from Danganronpa, I was like, everybody's dying. We're betraying each other. It's still put in like a kind of cool anime art style, but at the end of the day, we're dealing with we're trying to kill each other, and it's it, like that is hard to deal with. Last of Us, that is all sorts of messed up. Um, and to <laughs> so, go from that and be like, all right, I, I no longer hate myself. I no longer hate the world. Everything is okay. The, the last oh, no, game it was a year I after played. The last of Us. I lied. <laughs> the last big game I played was uh, was Dragon Quest Seven, which is a seventy hour RPG slog. It's it's right. it's good, but it's it's or long and twenty hours. <laughs> well, well, the PS one version is, is over a hundred hours, but the three DS version is truncated a bit. Oh really? Okay. So yeah, I, I beat it in seventy hours. But it, uh, I mean, and, and and also it's a very old school. So you're just so there, yeah. it's a lot of walking through dungeons and a lot of uh, semi-random battles. But then you go through this, and it's like, oh, I'm just floating and flying everywhere. I, know. I I don't have to get into a into a battle unless I want. And I know this game is under ten hours. And instead of knowing that a game is going to be maybe a hundred, ev- almost everything about Child of Light is refreshing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it, it really is. is. Although what's hilarious is, I mean, I, I wasn't a part of the episode, uh, but I love Danganronpa. And to me, that's a breath of fresh air in a very different way. So I <laughs> yeah, love right. that these were back-to-back for you guys. Uh, and I, I, I actually, so I wrote my final thoughts for Danganronpa two days ago. I don't know what day it is. Very, very recently, Again, I think. new parents, no concept of time. <laughs> um, yeah. I think literally during that one point, I talked about how refreshing it was because they did such a good job taking those serious elements, making it as crazy as you can in that situation, making it believable, doing it with a level of just brutality. Yeah, um, it's just everyone and, in that world buys into that world. Right. It's, and it's just no matter how and, weird it is. It's, oh. As much as they bought into the utter destruction of all human beings and hope around you, <laughs> this goes the complete other direction. And it's a celebration of hope in a, to a certain regard. Yeah. Um, Child of light. Yeah, yeah. They do. Yeah, so they it, do rhyme yeah. light with yeah, night baby. a lot in this Whoa. game. Yeah, the baby agreed. Yeah, Sounds, you got this thing going on. How yeah. many times do yeah. they rhyme the word light with the word night in this game? Many, 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 many. Okay. Because uh, especially with the narration, light and night is consistent. With yeah, because she's always talking about sun and moon. So because yeah. of that, light's brought up a lot. Um, I liked how the, I liked how at the uh, at the end of chapter two, the lady in the woods tells you that you need to rec- you need to find the sun, the moon, and the stars to uh, you know to complete your quest. And she's like, and then she tells her where the sun and moon are, and she goes, "Well, where are the stars?" And the lady in the woods goes, "Oh, they're right there. Yeah, just 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 <laughs> jump and grab them." <laughs> yeah, look up. Yeah, pluck yeah. <laughs> them out of the sky. It's like okay, but Thanks, also. Uh, one other thing about characters, we have four characters uh, that are Aurora's companions so far. Do either of you have a favorite? Uh, I definitely think, in terms of writing, Bella's the most fun. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of most useful, I would say Finn. Yeah. So Finn is the most useful, and after we get through this, I want to talk about my only kind of generalized complaint. Um. It's not fair for me to say this, but I, I really like the golem. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. So how do you get the, the, the golem, hypothetically? Even um, the I know he's a DLC character, but I don't know anything else about him. It's basically yeah, where Chapter 2 starts, when you guys walk through the, the forest or whatever. 
mm-hmm. um, or the and it says, "Welcome, you now have a uh, world map." Yes. Right. Okay. Um, there's mm-hmm. a like a head staring up into the sky there, and you come over and talk to him, and it's like, "Yo, what's up?" Basically, and he's like, "Oh, I used to be like here, and then the Queen of the Night or Lady of the Night, whatever, she pushed me off because he used to defend the palace, um, and he exploded when he hit the ground." And so you're like, all right, well, do you want to, like, do you want to go get fixed? And he's like, no, I'm just hanging out tanning, basically. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, well, I know you want this, but I'm just going to put you in my bag. And so you pick up the head, and then you travel around, and in the area right after that, um, you just kind of go in the generalized area, and you find his legs, his, other pieces. his torso, and his arms. That's cool. I like that, actually. Yeah, it, it's not terribly difficult, but it, it's it's like a pseudo-fetch quest, I guess. Um, and then he, like, gets put together, and he's massive. He's huge. He's two and a half, three times taller than you, and, like, two mm. times as wide, three times as wide. He's <laughs> huge. Um, okay. and so it's like the troll ogre sprites that you fight. Yes, he, he's, he's really, really big. And then out of nowhere, you build him, and out of nowhere, he pulls, like, this axe wood staff thing out of the ground. And you're like, okay, thanks, dude. Smash it on the ground. He's like, let's do this. And I'm like, all right. Well. <laughs> but he, he's, he's basically essentially your tank character. Yeah, that's great. It's like um, everything you want. Yeah, there, yeah. there aren't any really. There aren't any really heavy physical characters. There is. There's so a golem. Okay, but besides the golem, who is who is DLC? I and think I'd... it was. Uh, I think it was a pre-order. Maybe, I, well, I I probably can get him somehow. I mean, I'm not. I'm not even sure how point, much he costs. Download it at this point I for could, like two bucks well, or a buck, whatever. I, I think I'll, I think it was a dollar ninety nine even when it came out. Okay. Um, I I I might get it yet. I'm not sure. But you so have... the great. Go ahead. Sorry. Hmm? The great thing is specifically like moving into. So this ties into like my only quibble, um, and it has to do with the gems and being able to ener- energize your weapons for fire, lightning, or water, which is an interesting side effect. It's nice, but for the most part, don't really need it. Like we said, but when you get to the Hydra boss, oh yeah, it becomes annoying. It is extremely necessary to be switching, and then the great thing you have going into that boss then is you have three characters that have a dedicated gem to their weapons, and then Finn. And well, so I, it actually hmm. makes that boss battle even easier. Um, I, didn't think that bo- I didn't think that one was ever hard. I, I didn't even attack it. I just used uh, I just used Aurora's light magic and then Finn's elemental magic. Yeah, because Finn beasts on him. But the only complaint I have for that then is when they have four segments where you have to have multiple different kind of elemental like add-ons, right. there's no way to know going into the battle that you'd need that. There's no way to switch while you're in battle. Um, and so then yeah. you're, kind of, you're kind of set... In Wait, did, you, did you have Aurora go all physical? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, well, I, I had her go almost magique. all magic. Yeah, magique. I had... I, I had so I had gotten far enough that I found out that the beginning's much easier if she's physical and then the end's easier if it's magic, so I have enough time. I've already started slightly going back towards magic. Oh, and the, uh, uh, for the uninitiated, every character, uh, listeners, that is, uh, every character has basically three paths of their skills, and uh, every time you level up, you get a skill point, you choose to invest in one of those paths, and I've, I do every character a little differently, sometimes I'll have them just go through one path, sometimes I'll have them split a little bit, but Aurora's three paths are physical and defense, 
single target target and boosting magic and then death magic and counterattacks. Yeah. I'm waiting for the secret ending where it becomes the sphere grid and we can make them any <laughs> character we want. It's it's a little sphere grid-ish, a little bit. That's why those but... they have those extra boxes at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's what I keep yeah. waiting for. It's just like magically you can do any character if you get the right orb. I'm guessing um, that maybe those unlock in a story point, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think know so too. yet. I haven't been there, so... But I, I do view that as the – we were talking about how great it is because it's it's really, really easy for a new person to come in and be able to pick up and play it. I have to imagine if your art history major had played that <laughs> yeah. battle specifically, that would have been very confusing and very hard and have been – probably I could see a lot of people. Oh, that, with the Hydro one? Yeah. Right. And they're coming in for the first time. They don't necessarily understand that. They don't really explain that. And then but that's, but there's that's no way cool. to prep for the battle going into it. I sure. I, I disagree. But there's, the, uh, there's the visual I, cues of the Hydra, and you're you're kind of you're tapping into the folklore of of that kind of a creature. I guess I'm thinking specifically with gaming folklore, though. The idea of each head does something different. Right. But uh, I I don't think it's that confusing because if you look at the skill descriptions for every elemental skill, it'll tell you how that elemental skill works. It's like um, lightning is strong against water, water strong against fire, fire strong against earth. Earth strong. I'm more just saying for that battle specifically. But uh, so I don't the, have an issue with it in the long run. It's for that battle. It, it, so no, I, no, I, I do remember when I played it the first time. I was not set up for that battle, and it was much more difficult than it when I had it this time. But I wasn't set up for the battle either. I didn't understand it at all. But because they just had the elemental mage character join at the beginning of that dungeon, and yep. then and then the dungeon has monsters with those elemental weaknesses throughout the dungeon. It's bas- It's teaching you how yeah, to use these elemental weaknesses as a consequence of having Finn join it when he does and that dungeon when it happens. And then the boss mm-hmm. is a is a three-headed monster with each head being, like, one head is obviously earth, one's obviously fire, and one's obviously It's very fluid water. design. It's yeah, it's, it, it's communicated, it was communicated very clearly to me. So uh, I had to, you know, I had to be a little careful because I had to make sure that Finn wouldn't get interrupted. And I, uh, and I had, uh, uh, What's her name? Aurora, um, doing um, doing mostly light magic and and defense because I think I think I had a uh, I think I had a water thing attached to her sword, but it was uh, so I was able to attack the fire one, but not the others. But it was the yeah. way that the way that the dungeon was set up and the weakness elemental weaknesses were communicated. I I didn't feel betrayed by having by having a uh, a, a monster that way, and I think it would maybe it would be challenging for a new person that hasn't played an RPG before because elemental weaknesses are something that every RPG a veteran RPG player is familiar with but, but I, it teaches them that yeah, mechanic. But it, it teaches them to you and I and it's uh, I, I don't think it was unfair it was a uh, I mean I don't think I don't think child of light ever is plays unfair it's 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 a very consistent game that I don't think again I don't think is that difficult you, you know what I was thinking about this more I'm pretty sure the first time I played that boss battle back in the day, I don't I don't think I added any skill uh, attributes to Finn when I fought the battle. Yeah. Oh, you had get, you didn't realize that you had to do the like the full upgrade of his no, tree I, kind of I thing just, once I you just chose get him not to not to. <laughs> You're like I don't care about this. Well, with Finn, I just had <laughs> guy I, with the thing on his head. <laughs> with Finn, I only really put points into his lightning tree because that's the one that boosts your spell power. So, I, and that's what I wanted to do with yeah. him. Yeah, is uh, Kapuli. Ancestry or whatever. Yeah. Page. <laughs> oh, and also, um, I should mention, I, I mostly use Finn and uh, Nora because I, I liked Nora's speed boosting and uh, slow spells, 
and I liked Finn's elemental magic, but one particular reason that I like Finn is because his water spell is called Monsoon. And Aww. and you may know this, but I am Monsoon on the forums, and my Twitter is at the real Monsoon. And Monsoon, he's the real Monsoon. Yeah, no, he, no, he's yeah, he's a realer Monsoon than I, perhaps. Or, but no, or maybe it, he was named after you. Monsoon has been my gaming handle since 2009 or 2010. So, yeah, I I appreciated having a Monsoon spell <laughs> that I could cast regularly. Um, I I never. I never do um, any sort of speed bonuses, weakness bonuses, any type of casting characters like that. So. I love buffing and debuffing characters. I love hate them. it. Uh huh. No, in RPGs, there's no direct effect. Except it makes everyone stronger. No. I, I, I think I think just make pers- your person so strong that you don't need it. That's that's the direction I go. Mm-hmm, the stupid direction. Beat them by Got power. It. See, once again, Mike's wrong. No, once again, Josh is never right. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I, I use boosting stuff in Western RPGs, in uh, in loot games, in Persona. I I like boosting stuff, and yeah, Persona, and, I never do it there either. And in uh, in Child of Light, the game we're actually playing, um, there's a lot of meter manipulation and turn manipulation. So having the speed, like the speed increasing, speed decreasing character, I like to use a lot. So yeah, uh, Finn and Nora are my jams, but I like Finn the best because he has a monsoon spell. Fair enough. I, I I'd still it, I don't find that interesting, but I understand the I understand why it's so important. I just that's not how I like to play games. But she is a cool character. Jace, Jace indeed. Oh, actually, you know what? Perfect. Chris is here. Tiebreaker, Chris. Oh, good go. Oh, God. Wait, what? What, <laughs> what are we tiebreaking? Who's right about this? It's obviously me, because you're never right. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to lie. I totally zoned out because it was just another argument between the two of you. <laughs> so what am I helping with? Okay. Do you the, prefer the, just to attack, or would you rather debuff and buff? Do, and do, you think, do you think buffs and debuffs are useful or fun? Oh, no, no, no. I did not say they were not useful. I said they're not enjoyable. Oh, oh, That's oh, how I like to play. Okay. Uh, they're oh, super, I, ge- super we helpful. About, so we're saying general or this game specifically? I, I, Both. I, in general. Uh, uh, basically, oh, okay. I like, I like using buff do, and debuff. If you don't do buffs and debuffs in, in the majority of... Uh, you don't seem to be a huge Final Fantasy fan, so clearly Me? that's not... No, I'm talking not you. Oh. I'm talking about Josh. Sorry, that's right. Whoa. There's two of you. You're like, what the hell? I, I used Whoa. to write for a website called CavesOfNarsh.com. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I think I think debuffs and buffs. It, it does depend on the game, but they are so useful. And and really, what it comes down to, similarly in this game, is it just speeds up the process because you can totally beast through with just attack. To your point, Josh. But if you do your if you debuff and buff accordingly, you can just expedite the process, and it feels like you're, you know, finding Cheating. a cheat code to an extent to certain battles. But I don't mean that in a negative way, and that's not the right word. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like you're understanding the code and figuring uh, out how to play the game at yeah. a higher level. Play the game I, I better. I feel like you're agreeing Exploit. with me by saying that I feel like you're agreeing. To make the game easier so you can actually beat it. <laughs> no, I feel like Chris is agreeing like with me because, he, because, because he's talking about – because he says that debuffs and buffs can be useful depending on the game. He has to use the cheat code character to be able to get through it. Cheat code character? Playing the game how it's meant to be played is a cheat code. Got it. If they put the character in there just confirmed, Josh, Josh does not know how to play games. Like, yeah, yeah, they, I'm right. they put it in there just to make it so that people that aren't good at games can get through. 
imagine during those answers, both of you flicked your hair as being like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. <laughs> How do they let yeah. this guy make a child? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right. Well, the cra- even crazier thing is that you guys let me be in charge of podcasts. <laughs> I might have to put in a couple calls about that. We'll see. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So I'd like to officially say goodbye to everybody because this is going to be my last one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I think debuffs and buffs are worthless, but I think this game is great. <laughs> we want to, is, that, is that how we wrap up? <laughs> debuffs are useless, but I like this game. In summary, oh, Josh Curry, fans of the genre will find that buffs aren't necessary, but they can still do it. Um, no, in all honesty, I, I think they have they have the archetypes for each of the characters that make it very easy for you to understand. Um, I feel like, again, going back to a good first game, a lot of games would have kind of a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. And you do, in some elements, you have some of that. Like the Golem, I'm sorry, guys, but the Golem <laughs> is really strong, but he also has uh, a knockback ability. Oh, yeah, he's really strong and doesn't have any nuance at all to him, so of course he's Josh's favorite character. Yeah, just beat the hell out of everybody. Fun. Um, but he he has a whole... We talked about different pathways. One of the pathways is he has a para, uh, paralysa, <laughs> paralyzing effect. Um, and then he also say has... paralegal effect. I was like, there's a subgenre of this game. That'd be awesome. You're out of order. <laughs> um, but uh, they have a knockback effect and also a way to paralyze people with him and then he has has just a strength um but for the most part you kind of look at it there is just archetypes there's a mage there is a speed debuff buff person there is a um there's a healer and then robert the mouse is a uh he's like a status effect archer guy i guess yeah but they 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 may they put it in very general easy to understand it's not again it's not you have to go one route you there is probably a strongest route to do but you'd be fine with combination of the characters you'd be able to get the of Yeah, no, they they they, have, they provide a good amount of freedom for character customization. This is they do well by all of these RPG systems in Child of Light. Yeah. yeah. So. And also it's I mean I, I I switch characters pretty often, but you probably could beat the game without ever using a chair the character change function. Yeah, I, I remember when I first went through it was Rebella until I got the Golem and then I only used the Golem and uh, Aurora very rare exceptions when I had to like use magic or something, mm. uh, but this time I am I'm being very I'm going through and almost as if like you're playing Pokemon where you need to get each character to at least do something to be able to get experience for everybody. Hmm. I'm almost doing that in a lot of the battles where I'm switching around. I'm trying to balance it out. Just but, trying to enjoy uh, yeah. But but a, but, a, but a side comment for the listeners: you don't actually need to do that in Child of Light. You, everyone Correct. gains experience. They all auto equally. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Just again, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but Aurora, but I, Aurora I, gains experience slower than everyone else because she's gonna be in your in use the most, I guess. But she, she's always ass. a few, she's always a few levels lower than my side characters. But so, do you? Yeah, because for whatever reason, by the time you get them, they're already three levels ahead. Yeah, unless you right. And then they gain levels every monster. And then they gain levels faster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's the really frustrating at the was... beginning because Rebel is a couple levels ahead of you, and then she's still actually somehow leveling faster than you, which makes zero sense um but the i think the kind of the balance of this is they do have a stardust element which give you Mm -hmm. permanent uh procs on your character right and i think they assume because aurora's the main character that everybody's going to use it on her 
I think it's a balancing effort on their part to make sure that somebody doesn't get too like she doesn't just become absolutely beastly. Interesting. I now, that because I I found myself last time when I played it that I immediately put all the Stardust in there because I was like, oh, she's gonna have to be my main character. It's gonna be they're gonna take characters in and out, so I might as well invest in the person I know will be involved. And that was I haven't put any Stardust on anybody this time, but that was kind of when I was thinking about this time around. I was like. That might be why they have a little slower. Yeah, I, I was. I'm a little worried that someone might leave my party, or there might even be a part without Aurora for part of the game. So I haven't used any Stardusts yet. But I'm once I once I know I'm in the final dungeon, I'm just going to pour them all on my favorite characters. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, and that is a nice easy solution. It's like, all right, well, final battle. I'm going to use this mage. So here's a bunch of there, and here's my strength person. There's that. And just go through and crush. Go destroy. Yeah, because you're probably already super over-leveled for the encounter anyways, but mm-hmm. let's make go it forth. even easier. Go forth and massacre. I, I wanted to play more of this game just to see what crazy towns we get, because we had the town full of dwarves. And populations, yeah. Yeah, and who's this... Uh, <laughs> a 13-year-old dwarf has a beard that goes down to his legs. And then <laughs> you just, get, fast just old age. fast, yeah. <laughs> and, th- and then there was the, the next village on top of a mountain. I'm like, oh, I wonder if these will be, like, just different-looking dwarves or something. But no, they're a bunch of red wall moss flower mice. That's great. And it's it's it's, it's so unique. Everything about this game you're is... like, who's that non-mouse? And you're like, wait, that's not how this works. <laughs> it's... It... Like everything is so cute and storybook. There's that word again. That I yeah, yeah storybook. I'm, I'm excited to you know play more of this storybook. Absolutely. The new drinking game for RPG fan. Every time Mike says storybook, you have to take a shot. Mm-hmm. Oh no, my liver right. cries. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if I can get anyone alcohol poisoning by just using it every sentence next. Episode. Trashed in the first five minutes of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Retro <laughs> yeah. encounter. We will get you drunk. <laughs> we will get drunk. Then you don't have to listen to us argue with each other. He agrees! I knew it. Yeah. Mm. Well done, Silas. I agree. Thank you, thank you. The unofficial fourth member of the podcast. Oh, always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh... Sounds like everybody's super up on it. Excited to finish. Um, I'm really interested to see where our theories of what how it's going to end kind of goes. And what this world really is. I, I am yeah. too. I, I agree that uh, with Chris that the the stepmother is a logical choice for final yes, villains. She is. But it's uh, I. But it might be too obvious, which is why I'm not married to it. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Um, I, I do think that this is some kind of dream world and not the afterlife. But other than that, I'm I I really don't know where this game's going. I'm I'm excited yeah. to play through the end of it. Yeah, I really 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 want to see how it ends, and I am extremely excited to see. Just more of the locations and people that you're gonna meet, um, because like we were saying, every place is so unique. It's just kind of a joy to see different environments and different and ways of trail. looking at things. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a combination of that. Um, so we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll show more about that during the during the next episode. Absolutely. Oh, All right, let's do the best. Yeah, yeah. He his uh his nap made it through only fifteen minutes of this podcast, so that's been fun. <laughs> it's been longer than fifteen minutes. Again, no, he's young, been with me, young parents, for the last forty minutes. No concept of time. I fed him a bottle while we were doing this. I have played with him. Um, oh, I love it. Oh, I didn't ask. How is everyone playing the game, Vita, or something else? Because I'm doing Vita. So, are you playing native Vita? Oh yeah. So. 
I, I meant to mention this when we first started. I I have never set up remote play before. Um, I love my Vita and I love my PS4, and you think it'd make sense for me to set up remote play? Never done it until this game. Um, so, so you're was, playing it on PS4 and Vita? Yeah, I'm playing it on PS4 because I only have it on PS4 and it's not cross by. Thanks, guys. Couldn't have thrown us a bone there. Um, <laughs> and I was too cheap to spend like the nine bucks to get it again because I already own it. Um, but I set up remote play, so I'm playing on my Vita 90% of the time. Really good. Um, Grant, I'm in my house. I have not done, I, I want to before this is done, I would like to go play it somewhere else and see how it works when it's not on yeah, the same Wi-Fi. Just have to um, make sure it's a great connection, which is hard to do depending on where right. you live. But again, the great thing is, it'd be a little bit difficult with some of the timing for the battles. But for oh, yeah, the most part, even that... it's slow-paced enough that it would probably not be terrible. Right. And so for the most part, there'd be things that I might not get a surprise attack. There'd be a couple possible puzzles that'd be a little bit more annoying. But it's, it's a nice pace. I've also been playing Diablo 3, which so, thus so... far, I've, I've not had no issues with that. Um, oh, nice. But, so I'm This has broken your super... world. You're like am... lying in bed... Super impressed with it. And you're so happy right now. Well, because it's always one of those things that's like, well, I'd really like to do this, but kind of hanging out with my wife, or I'm supposed to be watching this kid, and we have, like, now with him around, we have to put, like, kid shows on occasionally, because I'm still waiting for him to start swearing, because I occasionally swear, and that's terrifying. And so now I can do whatever I want on my Vita, and he's not actually aware of it, or I can hang out with my wife, and I can still do what I want, possibly, if she's watching some crazy show I don't want to watch. And, it like, it is completely opened my world it has been fantastic talking about um, cheat codes to life. life i know it really is it's a life hack um because a lot <laughs> i mean we're trying to get through these games in a month which child light not going to be a problem it's super short but when we do some of the longer ones there has been like always that kind of concern in the back of my mind is like it is so much easier to play it when it's portable um and i i've talked about like, i've heard remote play mentioned so many times i've always thought about it and I was like, well, it has to be complex to set up. It's literally flipping a switch, and it works. It was super easy to set up, really, really fun, really easy. It works fantastically. So if you somehow have not done it and you own a Vita and have a PS4, highly recommend it. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm playing like it, it on PC. It's uh, I bought it for three seven. <laughs> I bought it for three seventy five a year and a half ago on a sale. Steam sale. Yeah. Look at me! I'm so Wait, cool. I actually, PC games. No, no, no! Okay, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm wrong. I bought. I think it was five bucks because I got it bundled with the soundtrack, and I was really interested. And in, I really liked the oh, soundtrack. Try to play remote play. Smart. I put it on my desktop, and I just whip out my laptop, and it's there too because I'm so cool. Uh, okay, maybe not exactly the words I used. I don't own a laptop, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> but. Someone talks to a lot of PC nerds. That was that was laden with hate. I actually I actually couldn't play PC games until I got this desktop, and it's it when I when I did that in 2012, it opened up a whole new world for me. It was great. Yeah, I bet it did. Oh, but, the number of going off of Chris's point, the number of people I've had to talk to because everybody knows, like I love PlayStation. And they're like, oh, that PlayStation Pro, pretty cool, right? Too bad it's like three years ago on a PC. <laughs> Screw you guys. Dude, I mean, I'm a I'm a big Sony fan as well. I mean, I I'm one of the, I mean, everyone and most many people in RPG fan own Vitas, but they're not they're not really a common machine, you know, uh, at least in North America and Europe. So, and that's the, the one beautiful thing of working at the site. It's like someone else owns one. Yeah, I'm not alone. We're, we're all the happy few so that amazing. own Vitas. It's great. Yeah, we're the we blessed the, few. <laughs> we live on the island. It's a beautiful place to be. Mm-hmm. And we got these memories of Celseta. We got Persona Four Golden. 
this, yep. this is a lot the of episode of Four Golden Crew talking right now, actually, isn't it? We just got Darkest Dungeon with a really, really complex UI system of how they manage the Vita, but good God, it's still fun to play, and I'm enjoying getting, that game. We're thoroughly. getting Tokyo Xanadu and uh, probably East 8 next year. Falcom is love. Just keep trickling out those RPGs, and I'll be happy. Are those good compared to the Trails games, at least? Um, they're both action games. Dark. I haven't played either of them yet. I really want to play Builders on my Vita. I, I really want to play things. Builders, period. But again, it was one of those things. Now I've become just like this douchey prick when it comes to this. It's like, why isn't it cross-buy? Like, how hard would that have been? There's, everybody bitches that there's no Vita out there. So it's like, Remember, give it to a cross-buy, and then you don't have to worry about it because you're not losing money because nobody buys things on Vita anyways, right? The majority of the cross-buy stuff usually comes from direct Sony involvement. Yeah. I only own Square two cross-buy games. Square knows they're going to make more money. Yeah, Square never does it. Yeah, I only own two cross-buy games, and one of them technically isn't even out yet. So <laughs> it's, it's, an uncom- remote play? it's an uncommon feature. Awesome. I think oh. I'm going to play all of Final Fantasy XV on my Vita. That oh, neat. Okay. crazy. I know. Cool. I'm super oh. excited. I'm I have like I have all in now. It works on screen, especially text. That's the only thing that can be bothersome. Yeah. Text. Yeah. Like the yeah, Vita XCOM port. Was... I I mute all my games, so that might be actually problematic. <laughs> it's so hard to play. <laughs> oh, well, this, this that's, wasn't that's outro our... until I asked that question. <laughs> that, that's our Vita minute. Um, <laughs> um, uh, we should just do we... a whole a whole Viva La Vita episode of. Yeah, when they officially announce it's being discontinued, we should do uh, oh, like a yeah. show. I'm calling. There's a Vita 2 announcement coming soon. No, I'm, so, I'm, I'm not, not PlayStation Experience this year, but I think PlayStation Experience next year. Vita 2. It won't be called Vita. I would not It'll take that two. bet. I would not take that bet. Neither would I, but I want it. Oh, but um, um but hey, Josh. Um, speaking of bets, uh, I think this episode is going to air right before BlizzCon, which is November, which is November 4th. Do you, do you have a, a prediction? Diablo 4. Oh, okay. That's a prediction. Really? I mean, I know they were hiring. But that would be, wow, that yeah. would be intense. Yeah, we're, um, we're recording this in the uh, third week of October, so um, BlizzCon is soon. And we'll and we'll post this uh, right before BlizzCon. Uh, Ties wins Hearthstone World Championship. Okay, sure. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll throw a couple Heroes of the Storm predictions then. I think that MVP Black is going to win the HOTS Championship, and they're going to announce... Uh, either Kel'Thuzad or Malthael as a new character. Yeah. Ooh. But, not, but not both, because then they'll just be two big, dark, floaty death guys. You don't think they're going to go a couple more Overwatch characters first? Um, I, I think that more Overwatch is coming, yes, but uh, the, most, the, the second most recent character was Zarya yep. from Overwatch. Yep, so there's a, uh, So I don't know if they'll do two Overwatch characters almost back-to-back, but they're probably going to announce three, because they announced three last year. And and three before the year before as well. Right. <laughs> and I'm just thinking one of them is going to be either Malthale or uh, Kel'Thuzad. That'd be super cool. I uh, also, sorry, Chris. No, you, oh, you're you jumping on this? Go ahead. Oh, give, I mean, yeah, no, hit us. Give a prediction. Sorry, just don't take on. my prediction. I'm about to do. No, I was just going to go. There's clearly going to be uh, a new Overwatch character announced. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah at at least at it's least so one. Obvious. I think I think two or three is a maybe, but at least one, absolutely. No, the, they're yeah. going to do one because by doing the the very slow trickle for that game, uh, people will just eat up anything. They don't need yeah. to do over. It's still new enough. You don't need to flood. 
the game to keep people involved. I mean, I play so much of Overwatch. I and, adore that game. And, and also, when they added Ana, she was available for everyone immediately, right? Pretty much. Well, it was on the test server for PC first. Oh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Tweaking, but the second it releases, it's pretty much immediate. It just depends on what goes through cert. So I right. think it was well, on I mean, I mean, I mean, the day yeah. early, but yeah, yeah, it, beta was, yeah, and it PTR. was just unilateral, just all happened. Yeah, they'll yeah, do a character, and I think they do uh, one of the promo vids or whatever, the story. Oh, yeah, they okay. do story. Yeah, that's a good call. They'll do a I think, story. I think they'll, they'll do one of those. Makes sense. Um, but, yeah, so but, my but, other but, big prediction outside of Diablo 4. Mm-hmm. Warcraft 4. No. Oh wow. Okay. Well, that would be that would be a mind blow. But uh, yeah. I, 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 I take that bet. I no. am I am going the direction that they can't go to Starcraft 3. They have to do something for that genre of games. They had well, they did are. the episodes last time. They announced that they're not going to just announce. Hey, we have more episodes. I think they drop a hint or actually outright announce. Warcraft. See, actually, if they announce anything for an RTS, it's going to be. Because they've already acknowledged that they're doing it and they've hired for it, I think they will actually announce a release date for the remastered uh, StarCraft and Brood War. That's the original. That's, that's oh, mm, a much cool. safer. <laughs> I, I think. I think. A, yeah, but I think it is. I think that is what's going to happen. <laughs> no, I forgot that, that was happening until yeah. you mentioned. StarCraft. I had forgotten about that too. Like, oh, yeah, that's, they'll they'll talk about happening. Diablo two as well. Yeah, yep. uh, I, I'm with you on half of your predictions, Josh. I think that either a Diablo three expansion or Diablo four is very, very likely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a D three expansion or Diablo four is very, very likely. A Warcraft four is extremely unlikely. So yeah, I, I like how you went one slightly bold and one very bold prediction. <laughs> I'm going bold. Yep. You want me to do my safe one? Hearthstone's gonna have another uh, expansion of cards. It'll be 120 cards. What? There. No way. That's I know. Blasphemy. I know. How could you? I'm feeling faint, man. I can't handle all of this. <laughs> yeah. There. So I have a safe, an out there, and a super four out there prediction. Cards. <laughs> like, you know how Magic the Gathering has four blocks every year? Whoa, whoa, There's slow be down. Four blocks no. every year. Oh yeah. God. Because it's <laughs> it's actually legitimately <laughs> scheduled, and they've already announced oh, here. Exactly. We gotta stop the podcast, guys. I can't handle <laughs> this anymore. Way too much. Oh man. <laughs> so be BlizzCon. sure to tune in for cards. our BlizzCon um, podcast. You'll be able to hear if <sighs> we were corrected all our predictions. Some of our predictions are none of our predictions. Um, run through everything that we saw and watched and what we're excited for. It's a really fun podcast last year, so I think this year will be good too. Um, and then beyond that, we have all sorts of kind of side content, but I think most of that's coming out before this. I don't know. I'm not in charge of releasing things. Um, um, by the time this has come out, people will have already heard our Falcom episode and our Final Fantasy XV Kingsglaive episode. Um, but uh, yeah, right after this should be the BlizzCon episode. And possibly a Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, I think the Final Fantasy VI episode was a lot of fun to record, but it keeps getting pushed back. I'm not sure when when that one's coming out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like when we have a... 2025. <laughs> That's going to be like when we have a really bad week and we can't record or post anything. It's like, oh, we have this FF6 one sitting here. Let's in the hopper. Go. Or if we can't decide on a game to cover for a month, we'll just do one episode <laughs> for six. <laughs> It's not um, like it's a big deal or anything. No, 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 no. Um, so in the meantime, you guys can send your emails to retro.rpgfan.com. Be sure to go to our boards. You can comment there. Uh, we love hearing your thoughts and what you want us to cover and what you thought we missed because we usually miss stuff, and it's always interesting to hear you guys' perspective on everything. Um, and then finally, wherever you listen to this, 
to the podcast, be sure to go on there, especially iTunes, rate and review. Those reviews help us out tremendously. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, that's going to do it for us here. Um, be sure to check in for our future content because we've got a lot of fun stuff coming. <laughs>